Who loves Christmas presents? Who's in middle school and loves Christmas presents? I need a middle schooler who loves Christmas presents up here right now. Two of them. I need two of them. Two of them. This isn't school. Real hands. Just come on it up. Come right up. All right. Great. Excellent. Okay. Okay. This is great. Okay. Hold on a second. Okay. I need. I need actually. Um, I, I need to uh, put this on your ears. Okay. And you need to not listen for a few minutes. Okay. So I'm going to just play some music. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Just hear it. <laughs> you, you hear it? You okay? It's not music. It's not music? No, okay. (laughs) There's something behind you. I can't hear you. There's something behind you. What? There's something behind you. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, good. So sit right here. Hold this. All right. Now you, you get this. Okay, come over here. Come here. All right, I have a question. So you love Christmas presents. Yeah. Like Christmas presents are a big deal, right? Really big deal. Uh-huh. Here, hold this up a little bit. There you go. I'm sorry, what's your name? Jerrica. Jerrica? Nice to meet you. I'm Peter. Hi, Peter. Thanks for coming to the stage. I appreciate it. No problem. So, so, so you love Christmas presents. What, what are you asking for for Christmas this year? An iPod Touch. iPod Touch. Yeah. Now, if you got an iPod Touch for Christmas, how big a deal would that be? Big deal. It'd be a really big deal, wouldn't it? It'd be a big deal. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You open it up, there's iPod Touch. It'd be sweet. Okay, here's another question for you. Here's actually it's a challenge. You ready? In ten seconds, name five things you got last year for Christmas. I don't remember. Not one thing? I don't remember. Where are your parents? Isn't that great? <laughs> Why do you think that is? I mean, Christmas time, like over the next, this month and next month, it's just huge, right? There's just advertisements and you, all you can think about is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But you can't remember one thing you got last year? No. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. Bad. Give her a hand. Give her a hand. You need to have a seat. Yeah. Okay, come on up. I'll take this. And you have this. Okay. Now, stand right here. What's your name? Karen. Karen, did you hear anything during that time? No. How was the music? It was okay. Did you like it? Sure. Okay, okay. So, um, Christmas time's coming up, right? And you yeah. love presents, obviously, because you came up here right away. So, I have a question for you. What, what do you want for Christmas? Um, an iPod Touch. iPod Touch! <laughs> There's a theme here. Okay. No, re- no wonder Apple's the biggest, you know, most valuable company in the world. Um, so, iPod Touch. So, if you, on Christmas morning, imagine this. You're sitting down, you open up the gift, and there it is, iPod Touch. How big a deal would that be? It'd be a big deal? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I have a challenge for you. In 10 seconds, I want you to list five things you got for Christmas last year. Go. A robe, blanket, oh. slippers, a shirt, pants. That's like 10. Whoa, nice. Well done. Well done. You can have a seat. You can have a seat.
You broke my illustration, but... <laughs> that was great. But I'm, I'm sure one, all of you are out there going, what did I get last year? What was it? What was it? What was it? Let's talk about Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, let's show her here. This is Kim Kardashian as a little girl. Imagine as a little girl, Kim Kardashian visualizing her wedding, right? Because what I'm told is that women think about their wedding when they're younger. Is that true? Not all, you know, but some, yep, okay. So wedding, big deal. So she makes all this money, and I can only imagine she got everything she wanted for her, for her wedding. She got the 56-carat headpiece, the 20-carat ring that cost $2 million. She had, like, these gowns that were made by the most, like, some very well-known designer. And, you know, this, th this big deal, like, People Magazine paid $1.7 to, like, take, you know, all the pictures and have the exclusive rights to the whole wedding. Just this big deal. Got everything she wanted, and then, as we all probably know, 70 days later, ah, Call it quits on that wedding. Call it quits on that marriage. Wow, what a letdown, huh? I mean, imagine that big ramp up of everything. Boom, boom, boom. The press, the media, the money, the planning. And then 70 days later, nah, it wasn't worth it. Get out, divorce. We're done. Let's talk about Michael Jackson. Here's Michael Jackson. Here's a boy who's got dreams. He's got talents and gifts, and he achieves them. He achieves his dreams. He's in Jackson 5, he's, he, and then he goes out and does his solo thing. He's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame twice with the Jackson 5 and then as himself. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. He's been inducted twice into it. He had 13 songs that went straight to the top, number one hits. Multiple Grammy Awards, multiple American Music Awards. Had his own theme park. Can you imagine having your own theme park? You could ride the ride as many times as you want. Everything. But as we know, we watched his life just crumble before us. And he, in the end, he owed people tons of money, and he couldn't sleep through the night, so he had to take these really hardcore drugs to sleep. And it's just, what? He achieved his dreams, and look what happened. What a letdown. Let's go to the next one. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, big band, right? Nirvana gets on the scene, takes off Seattle, you know, just, is just turned upside down because of these guys. And he... he, he Commit suicide. Commit suicide. Next one. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Talented kid. Amazingly talented. Like, he, like, carries the, the, the entire sport of golf on the back of his shoulders. And he, you know, he marries a supermodel, makes all this money, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Next. Chris Farley. Chris Farley! Comedian! Like, he got to do all this, you know, he makes people laugh. People love Chris Farley. He like, you know, Tommy Boy was this huge movie that's the most quoted movie here all over the place. And, and so, uh, and then he commits suicide overdose. What? What? What a letdown. Next. This is Britney Spears. This is a young kid. I was trying to find one, just a real innocent look. Because at one point, she was this little girl that had all these major, major dreams and got them all. Got everything. Got all the money. And as we know, she's had a rocky, all sorts of crazy stuff go on in her life. And, you know, it's just like, what? It doesn't make sense. I, I, I could, we could go on and on. We could go on with, like, Lindsay Lohan or Jim Morrison or um, who else? Uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix or 
Um, name some other ones. Who, anyone come to mind? Other ones, other, Howard Hughes comes to mind for me. Who else? Elvis. Yeah, these people that like got fame and, and fortune and money and all their dreams. And look what happens. Look what happens. I found this one quote. I think it describes it well. It says this. I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after they became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And look at this other quote. She says, the same, same writer here, she says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Now, she wasn't a Christian. I think you may be a guess. Because we, you know, we don't believe that God is like that. That's not his character. But it does say in Romans 1 that there are times when you want something so bad that God says, all right, and he just hands you over to it. Why? Why? Why, why, why? Well, let's move on. Next, I want to talk about the secret. So here's the thing. We're starting a series about contentment. This is the holiday season. Things are getting in gear. I'm sure you're seeing all the ads pick up. People want your money. They want to get at you. And so what that creates is this discontentment. And so for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to talk about contentment. We're going to talk about this, you know, your deep contentment. Are you content with your life? Are you satisfied with your life? Look what Paul says in Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. And every situation, I learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I've learned the secret. It's a secret to being content in plenty or in want. I think this is important because as a church, we say we want to be a contagious and flour- we want we want to guide people into a contagious and flourishing relationship with Christ. So, but what if we're discontent? What if we're not experiencing that contagious and flourishing relationship with Christ? What if, what if we are and are being just dissatisfied? How can we lead other people into a contagious and flourishing relationship with Christ? It's just impossible. Impossible. Blind leading the blind. I think Paul here, when he's talking about the secret, he's pointing at something very specific. He's pointing at that deep ache within us. He's pointing at more than that, but right, I just want to kind of unpack it. He's pointing at the deep ache, this deep desire within us. It's a deep desire that um, you'll hear in songs, but many, many uh, artists will write about this desire. Look at this song right here. It says this. This is by Need to Breathe. Hey now, this is my desire. Consume me like a fire, because I just want something, I just want something beautiful to touch me. I know that I'm in reach, because I'm down on my knees. I'm waiting for something beautiful. Something beautiful. There's this ache inside, this deep hunger, desire for something beautiful. Next slide. I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run. I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
right? You too gets it. I still, there's this deep, deep ache, this deep desire. I am not content. When I'm quiet and alone by myself, there's this ache. Next. This is by a composer named Leonard Bernstein, which I know the middle schoolers love. He says this <laughs> about Beethoven. He says this, Beethoven broke all the rules and turned, out the, and turned out pieces of breathtaking rightness. Rightness, that's the word. Our boy has the real goods, the stuff from heaven, the power to make you feel at the finish something is right in the world. There is something that checks throughout, that follows its own law consistently. Something we can trust that will never let us down. Have you ever heard a song and it touched something deep inside that you can't hardly identify? And it, like, maybe the song didn't even have words. But there was, so like he says here, there was something right, something to rely upon. Writers talk about this. Mark Twain says this, you don't quite know what it is you do want, but it just fairly makes your heart ache. You want it so. It's this deep, deep desire. So Paul says, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret. Now, marketing knows this, and so for the next couple months, they're going to push this button. You have this deep need. We know you have this deep need, and we're going to show you what's going to fulfill that need. Let's roll this next clip here. You're going to see something like this. What's my day look like? Not bad. Only two meetings today. Can I walk to the Belvedere Hotel from here? Here are directions to Belvedere Hotel. Read me that text. New message from Sarah Russell. See you soon. Do you think it was snow today? It sure looks like snow today. Say hello to Siri on the most amazing iPhone yet. Oh, if I had that. Little did I know I didn't have an assistant. Now I know I don't have an assistant, so I definitely need an assistant. I can just talk to my phone and tell it what I want, and it gives me what I want. Amazing. Amazing. Siri won't make you happy, but there's going to be ads after ads after ads after ads that are going to tell you, you are missing out. You are missing out. Now here's the other thing I think I find interesting is that we live in this incredible country with tons of wealth. And I know we're going through this economic downturn and it's been painful for us, but let's, let's look at this. We are so rich that on a daily basis, we ha can afford to throw away food. <laughs> for, for some people, if you told them that, they'd be like, are you kidding? I, I don't have enough for today or tomorrow or this week. You throw it away on a daily basis. Whoa! Many of us have houses where we have our own rooms, our own space, our own, our own location. Not only that, we have a house for our cars. <laughs> we have a house for our cars, both of them. Right? We live in this amazing place, yet, and we have all these tools, like smartphones are just exploding, and, and uh, you know, amazing technology and, and advances, and, and all, this, all these ways that we can have ease, and, but yet... It doesn't seem like people are happy. And so, someone picked up on this that I think really resonated with me, and I want to show it to you. Go ahead. When I read things like, 
the foundations of capitalism are shattering. I'm like, maybe we need that. Maybe we need some time where we're walking around with a donkey with pots clanging on the sides. You, you think know? that would just bring us back to reality? Yeah, because everything is amazing right now, and nobody's happy. Like, in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. We had a phone that you had to stand next to, and you had to dial it. Yes. You know, you realize how primitive? You're making sparks <laughs> in a phone, and you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more... Right. Like, oh, this guy's got two zeros. Screw that guy. Why do I want to? <laughs> and then if you, if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself. And then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank for when yes. it was open for like three hours. You had to stay in line, write yourself a check like an idiot. And then when you ran out of money, you just go, well, I can't do any more things now. <laughs> right. I can't do any more. That's things. it. Yeah. That was it. And even if you had a credit card. They, the guy would go, oh, and he'd bring out this whole shunk, shunk, and he'd write, yes. oh, he had to call the president to see if you had any money. And it's all true, kids. You phone. had to call the president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now, in the 21st century, we take technology for granted? Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the, on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots that don't care, because this is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh. It won't. Give it a second. Give it, it's going to space. Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light true? Yeah. I was on a, I was on an airplane and there was internet, high speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet and it's fast. And I'm watching YouTube clips. It's I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down, and they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, <laughs> <laughs> like how quickly the world owes him something. Yes, he knew existed only ten seconds ago. Right. Flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story, and it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? But you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, wow! Yes! You're flying. You're, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that, doesn't that tell the story? I mean, that's, we just, our tolerance is like so little for any little inconvenience. Well, I think I have a little another illustration here. It's it's kind of like it's like icing, right? It's all icing. I love icing. I mean, icing is is so good. In fact, I often wonder why in the world isn't the whole cake made of icing? <laughs> like why why you know? 
What is in the middle? It's like a sponge, and it doesn't taste like anything. It's like scaffolding for the, for the, the, the frosting, the best part. And so I love when I go to parties, I love just walking by and doing this, you know? No one knows. It's so good. And fro- there's nothing wrong with frosting. Frosting's really good. It's very good. But here's the thing. I think what's happening in our culture is that we're, we're, tr- we're really hungry, and we're eating frosting for every meal. It's like, I'm really hungry, so I need this. I just need... I need lots of frosting. And imagine if you just kept eating frosting for every single meal. Imagine how that would go. I mean, I'm I don't work I'm not in the medical community. Oh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a nutritionist. Oh. <laughs> but we're trying to fill this deep, deep desire in our heart with something that is, can't do it. Can't do it. And so no wonder we're dissatisfied. No wonder we're discontent. I don't know where I got this. But, um, <laughs> and we're trying to fill the, our hunger with just icing. And, and it's, you know, it's good, but it's, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it's, it's the wrong thing. And so, when we're discontent, we have these deep desires, these deep, deep aches. What do we do? What do we do when we're discontent? What do we do when we're quiet and we're restless? I mean, I know, I know there's reasons, other reasons for this, but I know some people that can't sleep without music because they can't live in silence. It's really hard to go camping because it's just quite too quiet. I need to talk to somebody. I need to. Just, there's just this deep ache inside. And I can't get rid of it. Well, there's kind of four perspectives I want to talk about this morning. The first one is this. Is that people often will then take this road of, I'm going to find my pleasure from stuff and people. I'm, I'm just what I'm going to do. I have these deep needs. I really, really, really can't live with myself. So I gotta find it in other things. I gotta find it in wealth, I gotta find it in stuff, I gotta find it in gadgets, and technology, in relationships, drugs, alcohol, you name it, like I'll find it in this stuff. And here's what, hap- what happens oftentimes, is that we get so dissatisfied, and we look over at our neighbor, and we think they got it made. Like, what, they seem fine, they don't have this deep ache. I have this deep ache, they, ha- they don't, so I want what they have. I want their life. I want their spouse. I want their possessions. I want this. I want that. I want that. I, I, I want what they have. Coveting. That's what happens is that we suddenly kind of move into this place where we're coveting after what other people have. Now, God has an opinion on this. Not only does he have an opinion on it, he actually has a command. Actually, God decided I'm going to pick 10 commandments, and if I was going to filter it down to 10, I'm going to put coveting in there as number 10. So number 10 on the Ten Commandments says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Do not cover your neighbor's wife or his servants or his ox or his donkey or his Lexus or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. 
It's not a suggestion. It's not a guideline. It's not, a, it's not best advice. It's a command from the God of the universe. Don't covet. Do not want your neighbor's life. And the first, the first commandment's like it. It's like, don't have any other gods before me. Worship me only. Worship me only and don't want what other people have. God's like, it's just clear. And in between there's like, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Don't covet is on that same list. Don't covet. Now let's stop for a second. Do some internal evaluation. Where is coveting in your life? Are you coveting? Do you covet a lot? Are you glancing over at someone else's things, at their life, looking at them, and going, I wish I had what they had. I, I wish I had that money, that house. I wish I had their wife. I wish I had their husband. I wish I had, I wish I had uh, their body. I wish I had their health. I wish I had their status and their power. Think, stop for a second and think about it. Does your mind go there? Do you find yourself coveting? See, I think God here is like, don't covet because it kills you. Don't covet because it, it destroys the very thing. It, it, it takes your eyes off the ball, off my plans for you. Don't want what other people have. Worship me only. So if you do covet, and you find yourself doing that, I think I, what I would encourage you to do is, if you don't hear anything, anything else in this sermon, is that you need to confess that like before God. Just say, God, I, I covet after this person for this stuff and these things, and I want to stop it. Whenever you need to tell a friend, say, hey, you know, I'm, I got to confess something. I, you know, in this sermon, I heard of this thing, and I, and I, I, I covet. I just need to tell you this because it, I just want to stop doing that. It's killing me. I need, I need healing. I need to be restored from that. Let me take it a different way. Um, do you fight in your family? Ever, ever, I hear there's families with that fight. <laughs> I've heard of this. <laughs> My family too. So, do you fight? Coveting can be the source of that fighting. Look at what James says. James says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Quarreling can be the source of that covet, of that fighting in your house, that fighting between you and your wife. Here's what happens. Sometimes you'll think, uh, you know what? You were supposed to meet this need, and you didn't. And so I'm going to hold it against you forever. Or, I have these dreams, I was going to go somewhere, and because of you and because of my family, I can't do it, you're holding me back. And you just, you know, there's, there's these sort of things where you're, you're coveting what other people have, you're coveting the success of the people around you are having, but you can't because, because something's in the way, someone's in the way. And you, you fight each other to try to get what you want. Coveting can be the source of that. Coveting can be the source of that. Uh, so I think that we need to kill that in our lives. We need to kill coveting. We need to look, evaluate closely what it is that's in within us. There's another way. We're, so we're talking about, you know, people who try to fill this deep desire by, um, 
by stuff and people. And there's often like the, the phrase, you know, the right one. And we just had a marriage conference yesterday and on Friday night. Who was there? Who was in the marriage conference? Wasn't that great? It was awesome. It was really, really well done. It was great. So, and one of the things that they said was, you know, they talked about the right one. You know, they talked about who's the one? Who's the one? And I think I find that a lot where people like, they say, I married the wrong person. And, and they go, well, so I gotta go find the one. I'm married to this person, they're the wrong person, I'm gonna go find the one. And then they go get remarried, and oftentimes they go, this is the wrong person too. I gotta go find the one. The one is gonna fulfill the deepest desires of my life. And the, the guy in the video yesterday said, you know how you know who the one is? Look at who you married. That's the one. The only way you're gonna know who the one is is when you get married. That's the one. That's the one. Now, this is, a, it's, it's, this is a difficult topic. It's a challenging topic. I know it's complex. It's not as simple as that. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that no relationship can meet that deepest need. No human relationship can meet that deepest need within you. It's like, I, I, maybe you've heard this illustration before, it's like two broken cups trying to fill each other, and eventually there's just nothing there. And they're trying to, like, you fill me up, I can't, I'm broken, I'm broken too, and there's just nothing and so you have to look for another source as you look for another broken cup. Maybe with a little less crack in the, cr- in the cup. There, people can't fill that deep ache, that deep desire in your heart. The second thing is, is this. So you, um, you seek, you know, people try to seek after stuff and people. And the, the second thing is people seek after, like, counseling. And they go get analyzed and they go, maybe it's a psychologist. And this is good. I mean, I went to a counselor for over a year, and there were some things that I needed to work through, and it's a very good tool. And I would encourage any of you to go to counseling. The concern that I have with counseling, though, is that it can only, sometimes only go so far, especially psychology. Psychology can be used as a tool to tell you, you know, why am I angry? Why am I guilty? And then psych- psychology kind of figures it out, and it goes, oh, here's why you're angry, here's why you're guilty. And that's kind of where it stops. So that's, at least that's where the science stops. And so, like, there's, there's this one Harvard psychologist, I saw this quote that said, um, I went because I was so hostile and mean-spirited. I'm just as hostile and mean-spirited, only I know why I'm so nasty. <laughs> That's what it does. And so, it's only when psychology starts to cross over into, okay, here's what you ought to do when you've left psychology. And that can be, that can be dangerous. That can be dangerous. Look at, look at this guy, this other uh, psychologist said this, all the analysis in the world, this is non-Christian, all the analysis in the world doesn't allow the person to find out who he is and why he's here on earth, why he has to die, and how to make his life a triumph. It's when psychology pretends to do this, when it offers itself as a full explanation of human unhappiness, that it becomes a fraud. Psychology can tell you why you're hurting but it can't tell you who you are or what your purpose is or what you ought to do. Once you start to go in there, you start to enter into like the theology realm. You start to enter into where God is supposed to speak into it. So if you have a counselor who's moving from that line of here's why you're angry and upset to here's what you ought to do, check that information. Does it line up with the Bible? Does that information they're telling you, does that line up with what God says? Because sometimes you hear things like, you just got to go deeper in yourself, the answer is within. Just find out more about who you are, and then do whatever you think is right. And there's, that's a dangerous, dangerous, um, dangerous advice. 
Just do whatever you feel like is right. There's no other authority on what's right or wrong. It's just as important that you're happy and you do what is right. That, that's, that's dangerous. So people often go, you know, to, 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 to people and stuff to fill, the, to fill it. They often go to just psychology and, and counseling, which is good and can be a great tool, but it can also lead in some dangerous directions. And the third thing they, they often do is they give up. And this is where you're like, okay, I've tried everything. I've gone down every single road. I've, I've tried all sorts of stuff, and it's not working. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close myself off to everybody. I'm going to harden my heart. I'm going to become cynical, and I'm, not, I'm just not going to have any expectations anymore. I'm done. I have these deep desires. I don't know what to do with them. I'm probably just going to eat some frosting to like, keep myself awake, you know, keep myself just so I know I'm alive. But I'm not going any farther than that. I'm done. Hard as a rock, heart, I'm done. And if, if my, heart, my heart is as hard as a rock, no one can break it. No one can touch me. And I, I mean, when I think about that, it's like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad and tragic thing that I'm only going to trust myself. I'm no longer going to look out to anything else. It's just me and myself, and that's it. I'm just going to live with my discontentment. I can't do anything else. But I don't think you need to settle for that. The, third, the fourth thing is this, to seek God. It's when you decide, I'm no longer going to look for people to fill this deep desire. I'm no longer going to look for stuff to fill this deep desire. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger? Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim? Well, there's such a thing as water. Men or people will feel sexual desire? Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I, find my, in, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not mean, or does not prove that the, inner, the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. So this desire in your heart points to something. It's not just, it, it, any, any desire you have points to something. And some of these things can be met by earthly things. Food, water, etc. But then, there's this other desire, this deep ache that we cannot find on this earth something that'll meet it. And so we search and we search and we search. And C.S. Lewis says, no, there is, there is one who can resolve that. There is one. So then you say, I am gonna, uh, I'm going to go to counseling. But, 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 but then you decide, you know what? Counseling will help me, but it's only through this something else that's going to fill this desire. Counseling's not just going to fulfill this desire. It's something else. And, and then you decide, I'm not going to fill this by hardening my heart. I'm not going to fill it by hardening my heart. You need to go to the source. So Paul says this, let's look at the, our verse again. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. I can do, and, and then he says this, here's the secret, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I know this, I've learned the secret, and then he gives it. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the secret. A couple things about this verse. Um, the word content is autarkos, autarkia. I didn't say Greek. I just have to, I'm kind of limping. Autarkia. 
And it says this. It basically means out of self I live. Like it's, it basically means, means, it doesn't mean that you can live on your, by your own being. It means I am so content that I am able to live by myself. I don't need other things on this earth to fulfill me. I am already content by Christ's strength. I'm already content. I can, I can, doesn't matter my circumstance. It doesn't matter the people in my life, what they do or don't do to me. It doesn't matter what stuff I do or don't have. I am content. I can live with myself. I can live in the silence. There isn't this deep ache because I'm finding it resolved in Jesus. I have found what I'm looking for. Let's go to the next slide. So, to wrap it up, a couple things. I just want to give you some thoughts. I think the first thing I want to say is this, is that, and this is the hard one, is that like, Christ calls us to obey. So we have icing in front of us. We have all the stuff that we could turn to to fill our, our needs. But Christ calls us to, to find it in himself. And as a culture, American culture, we don't like hearing the word obey. It kind of rubs us wrong. It goes against our independence. We want freedom. To obey means we're kind of submitting to something else, and that rubs us wrong. Culture says... If you're not happy, go find what's happy. Go, go find what will make you happy and, and, and then and just go do it. It's like the eat, pray, love theology. This, you know, it's like this perspective of I see something out there that I think is going to make me happy. I'm going to cut off all my commitments. I'm going to cut off all my covenantal relationships. I'm going to cut off all these vows I've made before people and God and I'm going to go find it because I need to be happy. And this is where I want to say, no, 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 you need to obey. You need to deny yourself of the stuff that you're like, I want to get out, but you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to obey what he calls me to do. The second thing is you need, to, you need to get rid of your idols. Sometimes people say this, I just can't, I, I want to be with him. I want to be with her because they make me feel like a real man or a real woman. I want this stuff because it makes me feel like I have status or power. I, I, need, this be, I need this car because it makes me, you know, it makes me think I have value. Or this house, or this job, or, or whatever. It's an idol. You're getting self-worth from something other than God. So if you find yourself discontent, you need to ask yourself a question. What is taking place, the place of Jesus in my life for joy? What am I seeking joy in? What am I seeking satisfaction in that's not Christ? Because it'll let you down time and time and time again. I have hope I hope that, that I've shown that as in real-life examples that it does. People who've achieved their dreams have found themselves lacking. I got everything, but I, was, I got nothing. Get rid of the idols. Kill the idols. Second thing is, third thing, icing, icing discipline. Like I said, icing's good. It's okay to have icing. It's okay to have an iPhone, iPod Touch. Hope you get it. We'll see. Not, sorry, Mom. I didn't... I, I, icing discipline. You need to like, what, what are my limits? Am I eating this for wrong reasons? Do I need to cut it off? Get rid of it. Go deep. Some of you are living, and this is, I know this is Paul's heart and the elder's heart. Some of you are living on the suburban Christian lifestyle, on the fringes. You just kind of do your thing, you show up, and that's about it. It's not going to work for you. In fact, you're going to be discontent. You'll be like, and, and some, at some point, you're going to say, this Christianity thing's a sham because it's never done anything for me. No, it's not. You need to go downtown. 
You need to get deep. You need to get deep into your relationship with Christ. Quit faking it. Quit acting like you're a Christian and start following God for real. Like, look at what he wants and make changes to your life. Quit saying that Jesus doesn't work for me and then look and say, well, I haven't done anything to, to like, show I haven't followed him. You know what I'm talking about? There's, there's, sometimes there's Christians that, like, they just don't, they're not engaged in the Christian life, and then they say it's, it's a fraud. Well, come on, you haven't even got into it. I think it's, that, that's dangerous when you have kind of what, you know, the Bible calls lukewarm Christians. Christians just kind of, like, wear the badge and come to church, and then, but it doesn't make any difference in their life. Zero. And so, all I'm saying is, like, if you really want to know Jesus, go deep. Get into the Word. Go to a Bible study. Talk to some, find some Christians that can challenge you. Say, well, what does that mean to go deep? And the last one is this communion with God. And this kind of falls with the go deep thing. You know what? Finding that contentment, that secret. It's interesting that Paul says, I learned the secret. He didn't say someone told me the secret and I got the information. And so I went to the Bible study, got the, got the card, the information, the pamphlet, and now I'm content. He learned it. It took time and discipline, and energy, and focus. This communion with God, with God thing is like, it's not quickly natural. It takes time. Prayer, your prayer life to develop that takes time. It's, it's, I'll say it's kind of boring at first sometimes, but as you dig in and dive in and, and find other brothers and sisters who are in this prayer life, you start to discover the sweetness of, of learning of, of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Amen? Yeah, and so I, I, I want to encourage you on that, to like, go deep, get into communion. If you're not in communion, if you're living on the fringes, I want to welcome you to the inside. Come in. Let's get serious about following Jesus. So, we're now going to take this time to remember what Christ did for us. We're going we're gonna to dive deep into uh, what Christ called us to do. So I want to have the, the ushers come forward, the elders come forward, and we're going to take a time of communion right now. And what I think is so cool is that Jesus, he's like, I want to make this tangible for you. I want to make my death on the cross for you so tangible that I'm going to give you, I want, I want you to take bread. And I want you to take a cup. And I want you to drink it. And I want you to eat it. And that you will remember what I did on the cross. How I gave my body for you. How I gave my blood for you. And how I can provide through the cross, through what I've done for you, I can provide that true contentment. I can provide that for you. Jesus went through so much suffering for us that we can trust him with our deepest aches and our deepest desires.